Hi there, I'm Janine, and you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and this is Get the Funk Out. On today's show, I'm speaking with author Priya Parker about her book, The Art of Gathering, How We Meet and Why It Matters. It's my pleasure to welcome to this week's show, author Priya Parker. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I was very intrigued by your book, and I thought, it's so funny because I was thinking to my own experience, sitting in a gazillion meaningless meetings, thinking, what is the point of this? (laughs) (laughs) Why am I here? Why am I here? Yeah. So how did this book come about? So um, the book, you know, uh, The Art of Gathering, I basically had a lot of experiences that you just described, sitting Mm -hmm. in either meeting after meeting and feeling that, you know, what is the point of this? We're kind of going through these almost rituals mm-hmm. of, 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 of behaving as if we're talking about something important. Right. Um, but we're on autopilot, and, and most people in the room are bored. Um, or dinner parties where the you know, candles and the flowers and the food is beautiful, and clearly the host has put a lot of effort into, um, into gathering us. But then the, the, there's no focus on actually connecting us in the room or leaving feeling um, you know, a little bit empty or hollow or awkward. And I think part of this is because for you know decades, most of our gathering advice and wisdom has been fo- has been focused on the things of gathering rather than the people. Oh yes, um, you know. And so the Martha Stewart school of you know the crudités and the canapes have to be a certain way, and 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 not that food doesn't matter; it, it absolutely matters. But our emphasis has been completely skewed on the wrong things. You know, I feel like. Personally, that makes me so uncomfortable to go into a party that's so Martha Stewart-like because it's so structured and it looks so perfect, and I feel uncomfortable, actually. Mm. Yeah, I, I understand that. And I, you know, uh, one of the things that we, I think in some ways we have misunderstood old wisdom. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, there's this sort of old idea that food is love. Um, yes. And I'd just like to say that um, food is not the only form of love. <laughs> right. And you shouldn't stop there. Um, and so I think even when we, you know, people are focusing on these kind of perfect canapes, um, at some level, I, I believe it starts with care. Like someone cared enough to do that. Right. But in the process of it, we've, we've, it's, we see the formality of the food, and it signals, I need to behave formally. Yes. And um, one of the tricks, one of the kind of principles, tricks, I mean that in the best sense of the word, of getting people to authentically connect is to signal to them that they can take off their masks here. Yeah, right. And so when you have, you know, pizza ordered or, um, you know, when the pie gets burnt or, you know, <laughs> when the potatoes are awful, it's actually this lovely way in um, because, because all of a sudden it's sort of like, oh, yeah, here's life in the room. Like, let, he, this is real, and let yes. me tell you what's actually happening, you know, at my workplace. Let me tell you how I actually feel about teaching right now. Let me tell you how I'm actually exhausted because I have two kids under the age of three. Right. And all of a sudden, people wake up. And I feel like I've been to so many parties in the past where people only loosen up with depending on how much wine they drink. And I feel like if you keep it real, like I was talking to my daughter thinking, you know, we should have this party with a bunch of people that we know and invite other people we don't know and maybe have like different things like adult coloring and just, you know, change it up. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that we do um, is that we, we skip asking the question, the purpose of our gathering, and we, we go immediately to form. So a birthday party, we assume it has to have candles and a birthday cake mm-hmm. and pointy hats. But we don't actually pause and say, what do I actually need for my birthday this year? Do I want to relax or do I want to um, 
turn a new leaf and focus on the people who bring out the best in me and not hang out with the people who tend not to. Um, but kind of getting to those second and third level questions of what is this for? And similarly with your daughter, I would ask not only, like, how do we mix this up? I would first ask, you know, what are you craving? Like, wh- how, how do you want to be with your friends? Right. No, it's perfect. And, and, Go ahead. And then based on that, design, you know, design an evening. Um, I, you know, there's a writer named Jancy Dunn who recently wrote a piece in Real Simple about her experience after reading this book, The Art of Gathering, and she, um, she tried out the principles and she decided to host a worn-out mom's hootenanny. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and she, um, I, you know, I, I kind of talked with her about how to do it, and she started with the invitation, and it was this lovely, specific invitation that started with a story, and the story specifically was she um, was at a friend's house, and um, she was hungry, and her friend, who was also a mother, um, made her a peanut butter jelly sandwich, chopped off the crusts, and gave it to her in, like, triangles, and she was extremely <laughs> amused and felt very taken care of. She thought, wow, I'm always in the position of caretaker, and so she wanted to have a night with her f- lady friends where they could kind of take care of each other. And so she, and I told her, say that in the email. Like, give life to your email. Tell the story. And, and, then, and then say, like, welcome to the worn-out mom's food nanny. I don't want anyone to cook. I'm not going to cook. We're going to do order, take out. Love Come it. to my dinner. Um, and and uh, the only rule is if you mention your kids, you have to, dr- you have to take a shot. Oh, that is you know? so funny. <laughs> and that, that was more playful than anything. But you can, you can, you can absolutely rejigger your gatherings. Um, but to make them, you know, specific and change the form, just simply changing one tweak, um, and, and, and you're right, it doesn't have to do with alcohol at all, can right. radically um, reinvigorate a community that, you know, sees each other all the time. Yes. Even, like, getting people involved in, I once had a dinner party where we all made our own individual pizzas, and then we threw them in the oven like kids. That's awesome. So just, you know, switching it up and letting people get involved and, you know, contribute. Yes. Yeah. Getting involved. Another thing I love doing for a group of um, people, it can be over dinner or another context, is a um, gathering I talk about in a book called 15 Toasts. And um, we, I, a friend of mine, Tim Lebrecht, and I started this experiment when we were at a conference and realized that people kind of show up and, and have been told all their life to give their best elevator pitch to each other, or their stump speech, and they kind of sound like politicians kind of selling <laughs> their wares. And, and we wanted to kind of flip the dynamics so that we were real with each other. And so we hosted this dinner the night before with 15 people from the conference whom we didn't know, um, aged from 23 to 83, and um, chose a theme. Um, at that point, it was a good life, but um, we've done it on all sorts of, you can be on fear, you can be on strangers, on love, on romance, on... Um, borders on American, what does it mean to be American, to the theme, and the only rule is at some point in the night you have to clink your glass and stand up, kind of old school style, mm. and give a toast to the theme. <laughs> and the only, and, and, and tell mm. a story or an experience from your life as it relates to the theme. So okay. Not your opinion on the theme, but a story. Right. And then you end, uh, and the only other rule is the last person has to sing their toast. Hysterical. <laughs> and, and it's this lovely way of gathering in a different way, hearing each other's stories, and often, I've done this with my own family, you learn stories and experiences from people you've known for 50 years that you never knew. Yes, with a little bit of improv thrown in. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So tell me about Thrive Labs. Um, so Thrive Labs is my kind of advisory firm, um, and it's basically a, a, a experience design firm where I work with leaders and organizations, um, political movements, social movements, any, any type of kind of... <clears throat> people who are trying to make a difference in some way. Mm-hmm. And um, Thrive Labs helps groups get clear on their purpose and their identity. 
Um, and and particularly when, when, you know, the life of all groups, and this is true for all gatherings, is this kind of dance between the I and the we. Mm-hmm. Okay, who am I here? Can I be an individual? But also, who are we? And what are we here for? And what's our you know, kind of greater collective? And most people think that a great group has a very strong we and much less I. Mm-hmm. But actually, the best groups and the best gatherings have a very strong balance between the two. You can both feel like yourself and be and have a different opinion than other people, but there's also something greater kind of bringing you together. And so Thrive Labs really plays with kind of group life and creates gatherings for teams and experiences, um, sorry, teams and, and companies and organizations um, where we create gatherings where people have conversations that, are ma- that matter, that are provocative, that help share who they are and help navigate the conversations that are fundamental to who they are and what they want to be in the world, um, particularly around areas where um, there may be disagreement, mm-hmm. where there's two different visions of a company, um, and, and they need to figure out a, a good way to have a strong conversation and, and make a decision and move forward. I do want to mention that you studied organizational design at MIT, public policy at the Harvard Kennedy Stu- School, and political and social thought at the University of Virginia. Uh, did you find that your work perhaps was so intense that when you had downtime, you thought, obviously, you want your downtime to be quality time? Is that also what inspired you to write this book? Deeply. I mean, you know, my I think one of the reasons I wrote this book is because so much, because I crave meaning. You mm-hmm. know, I crave meaning with people. I crave connection with other people. And I spent a lot of my life trying to figure out um, to whom and to where do I belong. I'm biracial. I'm half Indian. Uh, my mother's from from Benares in New Delhi in India, and um, my father is white American from I- Iowa, mm-hmm. um, and that's South Dakota. And I spent my life kind of in multiple worlds. And I realized that um, if I, you know, I, I like to spend time, my rare time that I have, connecting with people in an authentic way, so that they see me for who I am, and I see them for who they are, and that both of us realize that we are all complicated. And yes. that is beautiful. That's exactly how I feel so many times. I think, and what happens is I get burnt out on going to different events that I feel like, oh, I know what that's going to be like, so I decline. Yeah. Yes. And that's not good. Completely. Completely. And I think part of this is, you know, earlier um, you used the word structure and you're relating to the canapes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but structure, and an underlying structure of a gathering is a good thing to have. Um, when it matches the purpose. Mm -hmm. And so often these events that you sort of think, I know what that's going to be like, it's often because the structure is either boring or doesn't actually match its purpose. It's going to be a birthday party, we're all going to go, and you kind of mill around, then they'll bring out the cake, we'll blow on it, and we'll leave. If you're invited to a birthday party, but the birthday party is, you know, going to visit the fishing docks at 5 a.m. for an adventure (laughs) as fishing, fishing men bring in their nets, I bet you'll get a much faster RSVP rate. Yes. Only by the early birds. <laughs> <laughs> well, not if it's a one-time experience. That's Everybody true. likes a little, you know, suffering and struggling together also creates for pretty great gatherings. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So let's talk about uh, one of the chapters I really enjoyed, Don't Be a Chill Host. Could you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we have this ethic of chill, and I think it's particularly true um, among the kind of growing millennial um, generation, which is kind of, you know, don't get too huffed up about things, you know, chillax, don't be relaxed, like I don't, I don't, I don't really want to like, get involved. And, and while that might be helpful, you know, in certain contexts, it's terrible for gatherings. 
when you're the host. And and in the name of being chill, we basically don't want to show that we, you know, kind of care or earnest or you want to ask a question. It almost feels embarrassing to ask, you know, ask a group of people to, to ask a question and to get over the awkwardness of it. Right. And, but the second thing is we tend to under-equip our guests to connect with each other. So you have a, you know, I've done this. I'm, you know, I'm, by the way, I'm guilty of all of the mistakes I write about. That's why I know about them. Perfect. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I had a dinner party um, a few years ago, and I was very nervous about it because it was bringing people together from different parts of, um, of my husband's my life and um, some people I didn't know as well, and, and I didn't want to look like I cared too much. I wanted to be like the cool host. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they came in, and um, there was 10 people, and they, it wasn't really, they came into the living room, we, we gave them, a, um, you know, offered them water or wine or drink, and the energy was a little low. And I started getting nervous, and thinking, oh, goodness, what do I do now? But I didn't want to introduce them to each other because I felt like it was too formal to do that. Okay. And so they kept on kind of chatting, and finally a guest said, can you please introduce us? Uh, and I realized, like, oh, my goodness, in trying to appear cool and chill, I was abandoning my guests. Yes. How interesting. Yes, because we're awkward, you know. We we, we want to meet people, Completely. but we need and somebody. We're all yeah, <laughs> we all we really are. Yes. <laughs> so the fr- I mean, this is really like gathering for the awkward, and I mean that because it's all awkward. And so the best, I mean, by the way, the best hosts I've met, met in many contexts suffer from social anxiety, and are introverts. And in part, introverts tend to understand that structure and and ways of gathering when you have a specific plan can really, really help people navigate, you know, what can be kind of, you know, very complicated group dynamics. Yes. It's funny because I'm an introvert, and I was telling my younger daughter the power of introverts in a book I'm reading, and Mm -hmm. I tend to observe, and I could definitely see the people that are bored in the room, you know, are they struggling with what to talk about, you know? Yes. So. And actually, and, and, you know, one skill as you begin to host, um, you know, the best restaurants in the world do this. One of the um, restaurants that does this that I've observed is Dan Barber's Blue Hill. They have one person, one wait staff on the floor. Mm-hmm. That's literally his entire job is just scanning the room. Ooh, And it's like scanning that. the room for needs physically, visually. Mm-hmm. And in conflict resolution, um, in larger groups, we often have two or three facilitators, and one facilitator's job is literally to just look around and keep a sense of the pulse of the room. Um, and when, and we always try to basically keep the energy up no matter what. And when you start to train yourself, it's a, it can be it's a skill, a skill that can be learned. You know, yes. um, we all have different capacities for it and built and inherent. But but I, I believe it can be learned to begin to pay attention to this the the nonverbal cues people are giving to you. And if they're bored, you know, name it, right, um, or change it up. Um, but but that we don't have to. Um, we don't have to be bored together, and you know, I mean, frankly, even some of the best meetings I've ever been to is when the when the leader stops and says, "Hey, guys, like three of you are literally almost asleep. <laughs> What's going on here?" And that will put you know that wakes people up. Oh, definitely. Um, <laughs> so, so, so you know, hosting with intention, um, but also hosting in a way that you're taking care of your guests. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I often say gathering is is both a form of power and it's also a form of love. Um, and, and, and once the people are in the room, use your power and also love them. I love it. So where can people find out more about you? Um, they can um, go to my website, which is www.priyaparker.com, um, hash, uh, backslash the book. Um, they can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram, which is my name, at Priya Parker. 
um, and follow along with the conversation, hashtag the art of gathering. And I'd love to hear your stories and experiences and tricks and tips of what has worked in your life. Fantastic. I even, I'm looking at this thinking, I, I think this could easily be applied to teenagers because, I mean, look at how awkward teenager, teenagers get and then they turn into awkward adults. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm still it awkward. To, absolutely. It applies to everybody and having a specific focus that's authentic to the group. So if you're doing it with a group of teenagers, I would suggest you ask them for their ideas so that they own it. Um, I was recently facilitating an off-site with a company, and at one point, two of the people in the company after lunch said, hey, can you lead us through some stretches? Mm-hmm. And I thought, I do not want to lead this group through some stretches, but I hear a need for it. Yes. So I said, can you lead us through some stretches? And they seemed a little taken aback, and then they said, yeah. Perfect. And so we, we came back from lunch, and I said, hey, there's been a request from some of you to, to have some stretches, and people thought, what? And then when they saw their peers leading the stretches, they went along with it. So finding ways, you know, it's not a gimmick to gather in a different way. It's basically thinking, how can you have a focus that people want to do um, or somebody in the room wants to do that's authentic to why you're doing what you're doing and where you come from? Yes. And even adding to that, um, I've been in, I've taken acting classes and that definitely helps in different settings because you can say, okay, and everybody make your weirdest face or everybody yawn really loud just to let out the stress and let your guard down a little. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, acting circles are some, some of the most amazing um, pedagogy and, and kind of curriculums about group life. Yes. One of my favorite exercises comes from Peter Brooks. <clears throat> he writes about it in the book, The Empty Space. And he, um, he has people, this is with his actors, but I've done this actually in, in um, team meetings when, when, when a team isn't connecting. Okay. He has people stand in a circle, so there's 12 people or 6 people, and um, Everybody says one word. So you start with the first person of to be or not to be. That is the question. Okay. So, so one person starts and you say two. two. And, the per- and you yes. all close your eyes and look down. Be or not to be. That is the question. Okay. And the, and the goal is literally to make a sentence sound natural. And it's oh. this incredible way of quickly attuning a group to each other because they realize they have to listen to each other, yes. match each other's cadence. And once they get that, they can start playing with it, making it funny, and you know, adding to a specific emphasis of one word. Um, but that comes from the theater world, and you can actually do it with senior teams. And it's an incredibly uh, powerful way to focus a team at the beginning of a gathering of a meeting to remember, hey, we're a team. Now sure. let's start a conversation. But can we can we stay, keep the same level of presence as we start talking about our quarterly numbers? Fantastic. I want to thank you so much for calling in. This has been great. I love talking with you. And when's your next party? I'm going to come crash. Thank you. <laughs> come on over to the worn out mom's hootenanny. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I would love it. I'm from New York. I live here now. Oh, but, yeah. fantastic. So. Fantastic. All right. One of these thank days. Thank you so much for having me. Such beautiful yeah. questions. I'm oh, so grateful. Thank you. We'd love to meet you in person sometime. So I'd, I'll be in I'd touch. I'd love that. All right. If you missed any part of this, it will be up on the show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kci.org. And if you want to follow the show, I am on Twitter at moms underscore score rock.